This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Great grandfather, Mishchidosh Av. So it's uh, we're very close. Um, I hope. I hope so. Hope some, we have some of his genetics. What Aaron I kind of do? He ran around all day and he taught Torah. We know he taught Moshe Rabbeinu's children, and um, and he made Shalom Shalom Bais. So I think it's a little bit maybe hereditary, whatever. Okay. Um, we're learning for Vered Rivka Bas Esther. We'll talk about her in two minutes. For Neshama, Hashem should save her from the clutches of some very evil people. Maybe we'll all take ourselves on something tonight to help save this girl. Who? Who's Yaakov Yosef and Rezel? What? Oh, I said the name, the, the three names. I don't know what happened. They, they said their case was last week, but I didn't hear anything. Okay. So, there's a Gemara like this. Gemara actually dafyay me two days ago, or three days ago. Daf Pehei in Boba Metziah, Hasechus HaPoyalim. Gemara says the following. Ama Rebbe. Rebbe says, Chavivin Yusurin, how beloved is suffering. And we know that Rebbe suffered very bad for 13 years. Shis Vitzmirta. Six years he suffered with kidney stones. I know suffering five minutes would have felt like with kidney stones. I can't imagine suffering with a kidney stone for six years. It's not, it's not something you could even think about. Six years he had kidney stones. Ushva Bitsvarna. In seven years, I also had the model of having this disease. He had thrush, which are these pimples in your mouth. They go down your throat into your stomach. And your mamish can't eat or drink. You get very high fever. You're pretty much spitting out pus all the time. And your mamish, I had it for two weeks many, many, many years ago. And I remember it like today. I lost 30 pounds in two and a half weeks. Because there's absolutely nothing that you can eat. You can't eat. And it's the most disgusting, painful disease. You should never know from it. You get it from drinking from a cup that someone else drank from. I actually got it by going to Bear Mountains with my class. And a kid gave me to drink from his canteen. And I drank from his canteen. It was about 15 years ago. Maybe more. 18 years ago. And I got this terrible disease. And after I finished, there's nothing you can do for it. Nothing. Zero. You just suffer through it. And after I finished, I went back to my class, and I remember the kid that gave me the water. Because I asked the doctor, how do you get this? He said, you get it from drinking from someone else's cup, someone else's saliva. So I said, um, I asked the kid, were you sick that day or something, whatever it is? No, I just had a bunch of canker sores. I'm like, oh, that's good. Thank you very much. So um, don't drink ever from anyone else's cup. I don't drink from, from my kid's cup since then. I will not drink from another person's cup. Because that's such a terrible sickness. Anyway, I suffered two and a half weeks. Rebbe suffered seven years. So how how bad was the pain? How bad was the pain? Have Malka. He says, the stableman, the guy who worked the uh, the stable, you know where the horses are, was richer than the king of Persia. 
Not that Rebbe was richer than the king of Persia. The guy that worked for Rebbe was richer than the king of Persia. Ramei kisel lechevasa. Because uh, when he would throw fodder to the animals, they had so many animals that the manure of the animals, which is fertilizer, was worth so much money. And, and Rebbe used to pay the worker who worked at the animals. His payment was that he could keep the, the, the manure. Right? It was worth a lot of money in those days. So... The, the, he had more money, that guy had more money than the king of Persia, so there were millions of animals. The noise of the animals was so loud, the, the animals that Rebbe had, that it traveled three miles. You can hear the noises of Rebbe's animals three miles away. He had a lot of animals. And he says, that the guy, would um, schedule himself that when that these animals, when he, I guess when he threw the fodder, the food to the animals, they make a lot of noise. He would schedule that when Rebbe would go into the bathroom, because if anyone knows anything about stones, when you go to the bathroom, it's like forget about it. So he would scream, he would scream so loud, so they didn't want anyone to hear Rebbe screaming from the bathroom. So he would feed the animals when Rebbe walked into the bathroom. They make a lot of noise, and he figured that nobody would hear Rebbe screaming in the bathroom. That's how much pain he was in. He said, even though he did this, nevertheless, Rebbe was screaming so loud that his his noise exceeded the noise of all those animals. Until even the seafarers heard it. People out in the ocean heard it. So, a lot of pain. A lot, a lot of pain. Okay? So, even though Rebbe suffered so much, the Yisurim of Elazar of Shimon was even bigger. Okay, that's not, not the point I want to make. Says the Gemara, regarding the suffering of Elazar ben Shimon, Shimon Hashem gave him these Yisurim from love, and they went away from love. How do you know if Yisurim would come from love, if you're in pain because Hashem loves you? If it doesn't stop you from going to Davin, it doesn't stop you from learning, then it's called Yisurim Shalava. If it stops you from learning and Davining, then it's not Yisurim Shalava. And the pain that Rebbe was in stopped him from, from a lot of things. So this is the point that I want to get to. So Gemara says, but by Rebbe, Rebbe's pain came because he did something wrong. And it went away because he did something right. What did he do wrong? What did he do wrong? That he deserved 13 years crazy suffering that he screamed so loud that they heard him on the ocean. What could Rebbe, Rebbe, what could be done? He went to the movies. Right? I mean, what could be, he was on Facebook. What, what could be done wrong? What could Rebbe have done wrong? Says the Gemara, I'll tell you what he did wrong. Once they were taking this calf Right? A baby cow. A veal. You know, you have veal cutlets. Veal. It's a baby cow. Baby animal. Baby animal. So they were taking this animal for shechita. They're going to shech them and uh, barbecue. It wasn't in the nine days. You have a barbecue. Veal ribs. So they were taking this animal to shechita. Ozul kalyulereshe bekan fei So the animal smelled something and it got scared. So it, it hit its head, the calf hit its head under Rebbe's jacket. 
Rebbe was walking by, the calf ran and stuck his head under Rebbe's jacket because it didn't want to get shechted. And it cried. The animal was crying. Whatever that means. It was making noises. It was scared. It was scared. So Rebbe said to the animal, Zil! Go! Get out of here! This is what you were created for. What are you hiding under my jacket for? You were created to be veal, veal cutlets and, and, and veal ribs. What? What's an animal created for a kosher animal? So you're created to be in the chillant. Get out of here. Omre, listen boys, because we're going in today, tonight's Rosh Chodesh, Ador, Ador, of, you guys all sit, I could say anything. <laughs> everybody, everybody's in a coma here. Everybody, everybody's unconscious over here. Ador, Nisa, well, what's the difference? Rosh Chodesh, of, tonight, and we know that Mishinichnas of Mematim Besimcha. In the month of Av, you're not supposed to be so happy. You're still, still supposed to be happy. Mematim Besimcha means be less happy, which means that a Jew is always in a state of happiness. It doesn't say don't be happy in the month of Av. It says be less happy. When it says be less happy, it means you are happy. Be less than you are. But it doesn't say you shouldn't be happy. Even though Hashem Besimcha is always. Always have to serve Hashem with Simcha. Don't be depressed. Just a little less happy. What does it mean a little less happy? You shouldn't smile enough? It means you can't make a wedding. You can't listen to music. You can't drink wine. And you can't eat wine. And you can't eat meat. That's the simcha. But to smile at someone else and say good morning. Don't walk around grumpy and not say good morning and say, oh, I'm not saying good morning because it's Yishchidosh of. That's not what it means. Mematim simcha means in certain things you should be mematim simcha. Shouldn't go to Yankee games and Met games, you know, for nine days, give it up. You know, people ask me, of course, I get all these questions every year. You know, Rabbi, today a girl called me, she said, I can't chill without music. So it's, I, I would like to listen to music for health reasons. <laughs> so she told me, she said, it's for health reasons. I said, for health reasons? Listen to some of this music they put out without the music. You know, with a bunch of guys singing. But in my opinion, that'll make you unhealthy, more unhealthy than you are right now. If you listen to that stuff, you listen to these guys. But anyway, um, sorry guys, you're great. Um, but she said for health reasons. So I said, I said, what do you want me to tell you? She said, I, I can't. I'm all wound up and I'm going to have to take medicine if I, if I don't listen to music. And it's going to make me crazy and get headaches and migraines and this and that. So I said, so I'm not a rabbi. I ask your local rabbi. But you're here for health reasons. So, so, and then guys asked me, you know, my rabbi said, uh, live music, but tape music is okay. Um, you can't go to the opera and you can't go to Broadway, but you could watch a musical on television because, or, you know, on a video. All these kashas that I get, all these shouts, which of course I don't answer, I send them to a rabbi because I'm not a rabbi. But the mice, if you think about it, it's disgusting and it's terrible that for nine days, Hashem sits Shiva. Actually, Hashem sits Tisha. He sits for nine days in Avelis. And I don't think that anyone in this room, if you're going to be Menachem Oval, someone that you know who's sitting Shiva, you'd walk in with a boombox on your shoulder. And everybody would say, oh my goodness, he walked into a Shiva with a sitting Shiva with music? No, don't get nervous! I need it, I need it for medicine. Or, it's just tape music. I can't imagine anyone going to be Menachem Oval. And then while, you know, while everyone's sitting there crying on the floor, they just lost their loved one. And you're bouncing around with your music. 
I don't, I don't think anyone in this room would do that. Why? It's only taped. It's not live. Because we don't realize that Hashem is the Ovel here. And he's sitting, Tisha. And therefore he's asking us for nine days, give up the music. Give up the meat. Not everybody. The, the Svardin, you know, I always say, they, they only have Shur Shachal This year, this year it's the longest one. Because it, um, actually it's not the longest one. The longest one is Shabbos. Which is the Nidcha to Sunday. So it's a one, so there's nothing. No, you see the whole week. If it's Nidcha, if it's Nidcha to Sunday, I was told that. If it's Nidcha to Sunday, what? If it comes on Shabbos, it's one day? One day. Yeah, one day. Which day? Sunday. 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 That's it. That's Sunday. Yeah, that's it. So then this is the longest. So this is the longest. Yeah, this is the longest. Five days. If it comes out on Sunday. Same thing. Really? Same thing? Okay. So the Sephardi guys get away with this, guys. The Sephardi guys get away with it. They only have to, they only have the halachas of the nine days. They only have Shavuot Shachobo, the week of this, which this, which this year comes out the whole following week. But it's okay. They say Slichas from Rosh Chodesh Elul, and we, and we say we only say the week before Rosh Hashanah. So we were picking the rice and Pesach. Why do they, Why do you say Slichas longer than we do? Uh, you need more of a kapara, I guess. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's good. Say for the rice on Pesach. That's fine. Okay. All right. Anyway, it's all jokes. It's a different, it's a different, um, custom in halacha. But the days that you do keep, the days that you do keep, you need to keep. Anyway, getting back to, getting back to the Gemara. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says that the reason that Rebbe suffered seven years, six years of a kidney stone, seven years of thrush, is what? He did a big Avera? He went to the movies? He ate something not kosher? No! A little animal put his head under his jacket and wanted to, you know, to stay there for a few minutes because it was scared. And what did Rebbe say? What are you doing? Get out of here. This is what you were created for. Is that what an animal is created for? Yes. What did he, what did he do wrong? Says the Gemara. Says the Gemara. Omre! They said in Shemayim, since he does not show mercy, let the suffering come upon him. Now, what do you do wrong here? The Ferish Art Scroll. If you look on the bottom, right, Rav Art. Rav Art, you hear the Tana, the new Tani, it's called Rav Art. It says like this. There was a slight measure of cruelty, cruelty in Rebbe's statement. Not all calves are destined to be slaughtered immediately. Most calves grow up to be oxen and wind up pulling plows instead. Now, while it's true that when an ox is too old to pull a plow and stands to be slaughtered, it's also true that all humans will eventually die. Thus, the heavenly tribune held, in accordance with Rebbe's reasoning, that the calf should go to its slaughter because it will eventually be slaughtered. The Rebbe himself should go to his death since he will ultimately die. You hear this? Not to put it in plain English. <laughs> what he's saying over here is that Rebbe was saying to the calf that even though maybe not all calves end up being slaughtered and you're having veal, right? Most people don't even like veal, right? So most of them go to work and then in the end of time when they're too old to work, then they shecht them and, they, and, 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 and you eat them, right? So therefore Rebbe was saying in the end you're going to get shechted anyway, so what's the difference? So Shemayim said, oh really? 
So that's how you're going to treat him now because in the end he's going to be shefted. So we're going to treat you the same way. In the end you're going to die. In the end you're going to suffer and you're going to die. So you can suffer now already. Mida Kinega Mida. So he was punished for 13 years. Guys, not hurting another human being. Not insulting another person. Not when you go to the restaurant. Right? Not tipping the waiter because that's your job. You're a waiter anyway. Or going to kosher delight, pressing your face off, and then leaving your tray with all your dirty french fries and everything for the Pakistani guy to clean up. Because at home you don't do that. And I asked my tummy them, at home you leave this for your mother? So some of them do. <laughs> some of them do. But most of them don't. So like, so what are you, so what are you doing here? Why, why are you leaving it here? What do you mean? That's his job. What do you mean that's his job? But normally you clean up, so clean up. His job is to clean up for all the slobs, right, that are spoiled at home and haven't made and don't know what it means to clean up after themselves. So those are the guys in shul that the tissues are next to their thing, they don't clean up. When they go out to eat, they leave everything, they don't clean up. They come to a shir, they don't clean up. They finish davening, they don't put back their sudurim because they're used to having a maid at home. But that's not, you see, that's not, that's not, you don't have a right to tell someone that, you know what, I'm not cleaning up because that's your job. And I hear it all the time. That's your job. That's my mother's job. My mother's job is to give me money to go shopping. That's your job, dad. It's your job to give me your car. I mean, that's what dads are for. It's your job. So what he said over here was, that's your job. That's what you're here for. And he got very punished for it. And he's very lucky, Rebbe. How do you get out of it? How come it stopped after 13 years? So the Gemara goes on, and the Gemara says, how did it go away? They left as a result of an event. One day, Rebbe's maid servant was sweeping the house. His maid was sweeping the house. And she came across a litter, a bunch of baby weasels. They were on the floor. And she was going to kill them with the broom. She was sweeping them up. Leave them be. Why? Because it says in the positive, has mercy on all his creations. Omri, they said in heaven, now that he had pity on these weasels, the Rachim Aleh will have mercy on him. And they took away all his Yisurim. Yeah? Because he didn't kill a bunch of weasels. So this Gemara, when we learned it, it meant so much to me. Why? Because I'm thinking to myself, Madoch, surely, if God punished him with 13 years, because he didn't have pity on a calf, because he told the calf, that's what you're created for, and he suffered so much, if we make someone else suffer. If we're a boss at work and we push someone really hard and the person can't work right now or they need a break and we don't give them a break, cause that, that's, what do you mean? That's what I hired you for. What do you mean? I, I pay you for 40 hours a week. What do you mean you need a break? What, what do you mean? What do you mean you're burning out? I'm paying you. Uh-uh. You didn't have Rachmanis on them? Then in Chas Shalom and Shemayim, they won't have Rachmanis on you. We all want to know sometimes why we go through very hard times. Most of the times it's because we put someone else through a hard time. And it doesn't mean only someone at work. It means your wife. That means your children. It means someone at work. 
It means your parents. It means this was an animal. How careful you have to be how you treat another human being, especially when the whole base Hamigdash that we are now going to have the, the nine days, I hope we won't have them, but the whole the whole time that we're in right now that the base Hamigdash was destroyed was because of Sinas Chinam. The first base Hamigdash was destroyed because of Avaydazara, killing people, bowing down to idols, committing the most immoral acts. Hashem said, I'm going to punish you for 70 years. 70 years we were back, we had a new base Hamigdash. Second base on Migdash was destroyed because Jewish people did not get along with each other. It's now 2,000 plus years and we still don't have a base on Migdash. Because how you treat Hashem, guys, Hashem can make excuses for you. He doesn't know me. He doesn't see me. I'm hidden. He doesn't understand tzitzis. Hashem tries to make excuses for you. But how you treat someone else, what's the excuse Hashem's gonna make? What's Hashem gonna say? He doesn't know what it means to, 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 to be embarrassed? He doesn't know what it means to be hurt? Hashem can't say that because each one, everyone in this room knows what it means to be embarrassed and what it means to be hurt. So there's no excuse for you hurting another Jew. And, 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 and being that nice to another Jew. So this Gemara is so scary because if this would happen to him for for, for, for telling a, 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 a little veal cutlet, you know, get on the plate, you know, and this is his punishment. Imagine the punishment, chas v'shalom, if, if we treat another person. So we have to be very careful and we need to take on upon ourselves, um, in the nine days, we need to take on ourselves to be very careful, how we treat other people. The thing that we should take on in the nine days specifically, to be very careful how we treat everyone else. And, and not to tell someone, well, that's your job, that's what I expect you to do. You know, my wife, her, oh, your job is clean the dishes. Like, why should I get up and help you? My job is to go to work. There's no jobs. There's no jobs. We have to help everyone do whatever they're doing. Because we also would help, would love if we, our job was done by someone else once in a while. So it's, it's me that can I get me done. This, that's what this Gemara, that's the point that this Gemara makes. It's a very scary Gemara. Then the Gemara goes on. Very fascinating story with, with Revi. And I think this is very important in Chinuch, um, and very important for all of us, that we all have hope. Everybody has hope. Ikla Rebbe Lazar de Belazar Shimon. Okay, so Rebbe Lazar, Rabbi Shimon Bayechoi had a son, right? Rebbe Lazar was the son of Rabbi Shimon Bayechoi. They were buried together in a cave. And Rebbe Lazar died. So Rebbe traveled to the place that Rebbe Lazar lived. Amalahem, he said to the residents of the place. So, again, Rav Shemaychoi, Rav Lazar, and now Rav Lazar passed away. So Rebbe came to the town, I guess he came to, to, to a sitting shiva, maybe, and he came to the town to be a Menachem Avel. Amulah, so he asked, so Amulahem, he said to the people in the town, Yeshlo ben Laisit Sadik, does, does this Sadik that just passed away, does he have a son? Now, they weren't asking him just if he has a son. They were asking, he was asking, we had to ask the people, like, does this Sadiq, does he have a son like him? Like, you know, is his son like him? Amulo. They told him, oh yeah, he has a son. Yeshlo Ben. He has a son. He says, in this town, 
Every zona, every prostitute that gets hired for two shkalim, sechartai bishmaina, hires this boy, of Allah's son, hires him to be their guy for eight shkalim. They get two. He is so good, he is so beautiful, that they pay him to be with them, H. Gollum. That's what this guy grew up to be. Can you imagine, from a father like this? The grandson of Rabbi Shimon Baichai. Did you imagine such a thing? The son of Rabbi Laza? I'm sure you've all gone to, to his kever. So this is what Rabbi came. Rabbi came to meet this big tzaddik, and they found out that he's a, he's a boy prostitute. And he gets more money than anybody else. So at that point, if it was me, I would like, I would say, Nebuch, and I'd leave. What am I going to do with a guy like this? Right? Listen to what happens. I say, ask him, maybe Rebbe, about Shalmei. So Rebbe brought him, Rebbe met this boy, and he made him, he gave him smicha, and he made him a rabbi. The boy didn't go to learn. The boy didn't go to yeshiva. He called over the boy. He said, are you the grandson? Are you the son of Elazar? He said, yes. He said, Mazel Tov. You're now a rabbi. No smicha, no working, no earning. He made him a rabbi. Shagamor, not me. All right. He went ahead, he said, so Rashi says that he did this to, to encourage him, I'm going to take this apart, this is my share tonight, he did it to encourage him to pursue his learning. The question, the question that you're all asking is how is Rebbe allowed to do this? One is not allowed to ordain a man and make him a rabbi who is not a distinguished scholar and able to rule in all areas of halacha. This guy didn't know one word of learning. He was a zainer. He didn't know anything. So Moshe Feinstein suggests suggests two possibilities. He says, one, he didn't really give him smicha, he just called him rabbi. Sometimes I have guys that I meet, I'm like, hey rabbi, what's going on? The guy's 17 years old, he's not a rabbi, right? But you just call him rabbi, it's an endearing name. Like, hey rabbi, what's up? You know, the kid's a little kid, he's a rabbi, you know. So Moshe says, maybe he just, he didn't give, he didn't give him smicha to Paschal Alocha, he just called him rabbi. And that's not the answer that I'm going to work with tonight. So the other possibility is that Rebbe's, the Rebbe making a rabbi was indeed a full rabbi. But it was conditional. It would take only effect when Rebbe Lada, the son of Rebbe Shimon's son, was deserving it. Okay. So what happened? Rebbe said, I just made you a rabbi. I want you to go learn. All right? You're a rabbi. You got to go learn. So he sent him, he sent him to his uncle, I believe, I believe it was his uncle, to Rav Shimon ben Isi ben Lakanya. Achasti Ime, yes, it was, his, it was his uncle, the brother of his mother, in order to teach him. Kol Yoima, this might sound a little bit, uh, some of you might have heard this before. Kol Yoima have Omar. Every day that this rabbi sat down with this boy to learn with him, to try to teach him what it means to be a rabbi, what did the boy say? I want to go home to my city rather than stay here and study Torah. 
Okay, so let's get this story over here. This great shot of Rav Shimon Bayechai that we all go to, that we sing on Lag Omer, his grandson was selling himself to who? To the Zionists of the city. They were paying him eight. They were getting two. So he was, he was at the top of his profession, right? So he was the man. He was really the man. You, you know, a lot of guys walk around, they think they were the man. This guy was the man, okay? So he goes ahead, he meets him, calls him in. The guy thinks he's going to get a whole Muslim schmooze, right? Oh, my goodness, how are you doing this? He says, Shalom Aleichem, I heard good things about you. You're a rabbi. He's like, what are you talking about? Come on, we're going to go to your uncle, we're going to go learn. Right? Send him to Yeshiva, have a good day. He goes to learn with his uncle every single day. He sends a message to Rebbe, get me out of here. I don't want to learn. I want to go home. I want to do my thing. Right? Okay. Now, what do you do if you're the Rebbe? What do you do? I got guys like this. I got guys like this that came to me. I'm like, come on, go to Yitzchak, go learn. You know, go to Arsameach in Israel. Every day I get a phone call. I can't. I can't do this. I got to go chill. Can't do it. I got to hang out. Right? So what's your answer? What do you tell them? What do you do with a kid like that? What do you do with a kid who doesn't want to learn? Amalei. So, he said to him, who said to him? Rav Shimon ben Isi, the one that, the one that was teaching him. Chakim Avdu Yasach. What are you talking about? You want to go home? Rebbe gave you smicha. They want to make you into a, into a gadol. Rebbe sees potential. Rebbe, you know who Rebbe was? If you were that if you were that wrote the Mishnais. He wasn't getting smicha for some rabbi in, in, in Texas. He got smicha from Rebbe. From Yehuda Nazi. Who wrote the Mishnayis. So as Rebbe said to him, are you crazy? You want to go home? If this man saw such potential in you, give it a shot. Work it. Which is connected to the Garden of Yearning. He said, they want to spread a gold garment upon you. And they want to call you Rebbe. And you say, I want to go home to my city? What's wrong with you? You want to go home and be a Zainah when you can become a Rebbe and Rebbe soaring you this quality? What are you talking about? Says the Gemara. Armart lekarasi aniazel. Armalei, so the boy said to him, Maimi, I swear. Azuvada, this matter is now over. I will not ever request again to go home. Kigadal, when this boy grew up, also Yosef bin Masifta the Rebbe, he came to the yeshiva of Rebbe, which was for older people, and he sat in the yeshiva. Shamei Lekale, Rebbe heard his voice, he asked a question, Rebbe heard his voice. Omar, when Rebbe heard his voice, he said, This voice that I'm hearing sounds like the voice of Rabbi Lazar, the son of Rav Shimon. They said to Rebbe, This is the son of Rabbi Lazar, Rav Shimon, the one that you made, that you gave smicha to. So Rebbe called out to him. He said, "Pre tzaddik eats chayim, the fruit of a righteous man, to your life." And he, all kinds of different pasuk, all kinds of different pasuk. And he ended up. 
So, okay, when he died, this is Rav Shimon ben Yitzhak, Lucky, Okay, When Rav Yaisi, the son of Rav Elazar, passed away, this boy, they brought him to his father's burial cave, and there's, and there's a, a whole, and, and they tried to bring him in, and they couldn't bring him in, and they thought that there was a snake, and the snake didn't let them bury. If you go to Moron, you'll see that Rav Shimon Ba'echai and his son Rav Elazar are buried together. This son that was, that he changed, that Rebbe changed, so they wanted to bury him also there. But there was a serpent, there was a, a serpent, I believe, um, that was surrounding the cave, and um, didn't let him in. So they thought that maybe they didn't let him in because uh, when he was younger, he was doing those things. And a voice came out of Shemayim and said, no, the reason that they're not letting him in is because Rav Shem and his son Rav they suffered in a cave together. And this boy never suffered in a cave. So therefore, they're buried in a cave. But there's no Midah connected me that he should be buried in a cave. But not that he was Mechap, he was forgiven for what he did. But he, since he didn't suffer like them, he can't be buried together with them. He's also buried, I believe, in Moron over there. But he wasn't buried in that cave. So... Why am I telling you this story? So I'm telling you this story to teach us something very, very important in dealing with kids and in dealing in life. And I've been saying this way before I learned this Gemara, but everything's in the Torah. And that is that for a person to give up his bad ways, to change his life, for to make a superstar out of a kid... You need to compliment them. Um, at the same time, when you compliment the person, it's a trick that, I, that I've used many times. Now I can't use it anymore because I'm telling you the trick. But um, there are many times I met kids who were really, you know, in fact, the first night that I ever, um, she ever hears this tape, she'll kill me. But um, the, the first night that I, that I ever did care of with kids that I were like um, off the derech, because I always taught kids that weren't religious, but I didn't teach kids who were religious and went off the derech, so to say, was on a Tisha B'Av night. Exactly, this Tisha B'Av will be exactly, I believe, eight years, seven to, or eight years. So um, I was invited to speak in a place called Judah's Place. Judah's Place was a place where kids were post-drug rehab, girls and boys, post-drug rehab, we get together at night. In other words, they have to be clean. Um, I never talked to kids that were on drugs. I never dealt with kids that were on drugs. I never really dealt with kids from, from families that, that had gone off the derech. And this was my um, my first meeting with them. And um, they were, of course, a very rough group. These kids were all in rehab, tongue rings, tattoos, you know, angry at Jews, angry at God, angry at the world, angry at everything. And um, I really didn't know what to tell them, but I had all my good stories prepared. I had my red light story, and I had some other good stuff, my lawyer story. Those are old stories. And I had, you know, my, my little boy with the newspaper, Davin Tashem story. That was going to be my opening story in Amuna. And I was, like, ready for them, you know. And I walked in there, and I, I remember the site like, like our mom is sitting right here. There were, like, three girls and three boys. There was a couch, pool table. Half of them were on the pool table. The other half were on the couch. And, um, I, I, and there was a chair, like, in the middle. That was my chair, and then they were all facing me. And um, there were like these two girls sitting on the couch, and um, not really dressed that, not really fully dressed that much. And I wasn't like very comfortable at all, you know. And uh, they were busy with their tongue rings the whole time. Before I even opened my mouth, I'm like, oh my God, there's more metal in this room. It's good I didn't bring a magnet, you know, I'd be in big trouble. I'd be in big trouble, Baruch Hashem. 
Um, it said ma- magnet-free room. You know, you can't bring any magnets in there. And um, you could see on their faces they were really bitter. Really, you know, they were really angry. And um, I uh, opened up. It's my famous opening. You know, I sat there. I was like, Hashem, help me out here. Because I don't know what to tell these kids, you know. And this girl got up. And, uh, I remember she was 14 and a half. She, I mean, she's what she's. Uh, we're very close today. I mean, she 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 grew up pretty much in my house a little bit, and she was the first one to ever give me her tongue rings to put in my talus bag. Baruch Hashem, She's amazing. She's married. She's from. She's about a week away from giving birth uh, to her first child, and uh, just a, an amazing person. Really, like the story in the Gemara, Hashem, she didn't do whatever. I'm not, but but Mamish from one place to the other, like across the continent. And and I and I sat down, and, and she got up, and she's she's this little blonde girl with with a lot of spunk and a lot of anger and a lot of hate. And she got up, and she said, Rabbi, blank you. I'm not going to use the word, of course. Blank you. I'm like me. me? I'm scary, you know. They were scary, like you know. And and I'm like, okay. Blank every rabbi, blank God, blank Judaism, blank all of you. Now what do you got to say? <laughs> and they're all like in my face, like, yeah, rabbi, what, <laughs> what, what, what? I'm like, I want to go home. <laughs> so I'm like, Hashem, help me out here. Baruch Hashem, Hashem, help me out. That was my big night. Started the whole Ornava, the whole. Rabbi Wallerstein speaking, all this stuff started at that moment. I taught my class and my, you know, my boys, I, they weren't religious and we went out, we played ball, we played hockey, I took care of my boys. and nothing to do with the outside world. It was my boys, my class, and I didn't speak anywhere. This, that's my much where it started. It started on Fisher of Night in that room with six people and Hashem put the right words in my mouth because had I said the wrong thing at that moment, I would have crawled out the door and it would have been the end of everything. And what I said to her was, I'm really so excited about what you just said. And she was like, what? I was like, you see, I came here tonight figuring it would take me three to four, maybe five hours until the sun rises to try to prove to you guys that there's a God in this world. And I have a lot of proofs and I have a lot of stories. Here you go, you get up, I didn't even speak yet, and you go, blank God? Well, you can't say that word if you don't believe in God, because you say blank God. If you didn't believe in God, you would say blank you, blank the wall, blank the professors, blank the cops, blank, you know, the president of the United States. But if you say blank God, it means you believe in God. You just saved me five hours. What do you guys want to talk about tonight? I'm done. That's what came out of my mouth. And I just took all the errors out of her tires. Because instead of reacting angry and giving her back that, that energy, I just said, you're, you're amazing. You just gave my share. I don't have to prove God anymore. So now maybe we'll talk about something else and we start talking about much. Okay. Lamaisa, I was sitting there and my mind was racing. Since she was in my face and screaming at me, I know from teaching my kids before that, that the kid that has that firepower with, of hatred, all you need to do is switch lanes and it becomes the firepower of love. The other kids that are sitting there like, you know, just brain dead from, the, from the, all the pot that they smoke, you know, and they're like, <laughs> hey Rabbi, what's up? What's up? It's in a ride, yeah. Okay, cool, man. Cool, yeah. Everything's fine. Oh, I'm so hungry. <laughs> Got the munchies. I'm like, with this person, I'm not going nowhere. It's like a dead basketball. You know, you throw it on the floor, don't bounce, right? It's like, 
<laughs> so, you know, there are, but the one that comes in your face says, I hate you, I hate everything. So you take that energy. And all you know, anyone who takes karate here, anyone take karate? So I remember when I got my black belt fifth degree. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so when I was taking karate, the first thing they taught me, well, it wasn't the first thing they taught me. Um, the first thing they taught me was run. The second thing they taught me, it's a different, it was a Jewish karate. So my rabbi was teaching it. It's a different kind of karate. The, high, the highest belt in the karate I learned is called the white belt. You run. That's it. You put up the flag, you say, I give up. It works. You never get hurt when you give up. It works. You can get killed, but you won't get hurt. So, so no, on a serious note, so the first thing they teach you is that when someone hits you with a lot of energy, if you go against it, it's going to hurt. You're going to break bones. But if you go with it, right, if you go with it, or in judo, if you go with it, while the guy's throwing you the punch, you grab his hand and you just keep him going, and you throw him right over your shoulder, and it's like nothing, because you're using his energy to flip him over your shoulder. But if you're going to go against that punch, you're going to take that punch hard, you're going to break a bone. So you, you take the punch, and then you just divert the energy that he was going to hit you with, and you just throw him right over your shoulder, and you keep him going. Hey, you didn't know that Wallace knows this stuff, eh? So... But us, us and we don't fight. Um, only if you start with us. So, so stay away from Kahanam. They're, they're dangerous. Anyway, so, so when I saw this energy, this negative energy coming at me, I said to myself, the other brain-dead kids in the room, there are a bunch of potheads, they can't even think straight, right? They did LSD, they have no cells, they're acid, like, you know, they, 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 they got a salad in their brain with some dressing, there's nothing else in there. So those kids I'm not going to get to. With this girl... Man, she may be angry, but she's clear. She hates us. She's clear that she hates us. So I remember, so I started telling them stories, whatever it was. It was very nice. About 3 o'clock, so we walked out, and she walked out. Um, they all had, you know, every 10 minutes, everyone has to go for a smoke, you know, smoke break. And um, I, pulled, I pulled what I learned from, what, what we learned from this Gemara. I turned to her and I said, what a shame. What? I said, what a shame. What? I'm like, what a waste. What? I'm like, you! What'd you say? I said, your potential, your energy level, your brain. Your brain isn't dead yet. What energy? If you, you just, you're just so negative. You took the, I said, I said, I want to use her name. I said, let's call her name Sarah. I said, Sarah, if you would take this energy, and, and, and this, you're such, you're so stuck in what you think that you think you're so right. And you would listen and you would grow and you would learn. You would be the best girl in the world to be Makar of other girls. What? I'm like, I'm telling you, I'm not making this up. You have crazy potential. I said, you are the first person that ever said that to me. That's what she told me. It's so sad. You're the first person, she was 14 and a half years old. You're the first person that ever said to me that I have such potential. Now, I was very smart what I did. Because at the same time that I complimented her, I insulted her. Because I told her she has unbelievable potential, but now she goes home and she says, oh my goodness, I'm a loser. I have unbelievable potential and I didn't use it. So I gave her a guilty conscience. At the same time, if you tell somebody you're nothing, Right? You're a nobody, you're a nothing. So you don't have a guilty conscience. I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody. So I don't expect anything from myself. So I go to sleep at night, I'm like, I'm a nothing. He said I'm a nothing. Let's do more drugs, let's smoke up, let's do some more whiskey, let's get look, let's chill. I'm a nothing anyway, so I'm going to be a chill or nothing. But when you tell somebody that you're unbelievable, and that you're amazing, 
Guess what? It's a very nice thing to say, but it's a horrible thing to say because you're killing them. Because now they're going home and they're saying, oh my God, this guy believes in me and I'm not living up to it. So you're killing, you're killing that person. But you're giving them a conscience. And if you give them a conscience, then they want to find, they want, they, I really could do this and then I really have to try to do this. And there's no question that that's what saved her. And, 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 and she, not how many times in two years after that did she say to me, I really have potential. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I gave up my drinking. I can't believe I gave up my, my tongue rings. I can't believe I, I just burnt off one of my tattoos. And, and as she was growing, she, because, because some guy told her that you're, you have amazing potential. Whether I meant it or not, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It doesn't matter. That, that, that someone told her that she has unbelievable. So what happened here, like, if you learn this Gemara, where was everybody else? Rav Shimon by Yechai's grandson is selling his body to prostitutes for H. Golim? Where is everybody? Why is the town allowing that? Where's the yeshiva? Where's Oyitzchak? Where's Shuvu? Where's all the Kerem organizations? It's Rav Shimon by Yechai's grandson. It's Rav Elazar's grandson. Son. What's the answer? Rebbe, his name was Rebbe. He was a true Rebbe. So he knew that if he's going to come to this kid and tell him, you're going to burn in hell forever. It's going to be so hot. Woo! And then they're going to throw you into the Gehenim of Sheleg. It's going to be so cold. They're going to hang you upside down. But who knows what part of your body forever. Because you did all these Averis. And you're, and you're gonna be the biggest shame. Oh, you're gonna give him Musr. And let's learn Mr. Yisharim. And oh, you're shaded! Low life! Rebbe knew that's not gonna work. So Rebbe went to this kid who was in the deep of the deep of the lowest things in the world. And he called him Rabbi. He said, your potential! I'm gonna give you smicha! You don't even, but I don't deserve smicha! But I know that one day you're going to be a rov, and I don't know if I'm going to be around, so I'm going to give you smicha. So that when you become the big tzaddik and you teach him Torah to Kaisal, you can say, I got smicha from Rebbe. I see your potential. Whether Rebbe saw his potential or didn't see his potential, I don't know. But Rebbe made him a rabbi and said, if you make him a rabbi, he's going to end up growing to be a rabbi. You're going to tell him you're a lowlife, you're going to burn in hell, he's going to end up being a lowlife and burn in hell. A secret in chinuch, a secret in bringing up children is to be able to see the potential, not only to see the potential, but to tell them. You know, he, he, he is so opposite. What he did there was so opposite. He didn't earn it. What do you mean? You know? You come to, you're in school, and you get a 64 on a test. And you go to your teacher, and you're like, come on. I got to take over my whole region for one point. You know, the regent had three long questions that you could have given me one more point. It wasn't all multiple choice. You could have given me one more point. Now I got to go to summer school with a bunch of shkutzim in, in, in Morrow and in Midwood and my whole, my whole summer's finished. One point you couldn't give me? That's life, man. <laughs> life's tough. Life's tough. How many times do we hear that? That's not, is that what the Gemara is saying over here? Is that how you, is that what you're supposed to do? Is that telling the calf, hey, you're created to be shechted, man. That's life. School's school. Rules, rules. Sorry. I didn't think you deserved that point. Life's tough. That's sort of what Rebbe told that little calf. Life sucks. You're going to get shechted. 
Too bad. You know, it's not a perfect life. Yeah, Shemayim said. Yeah, life sucks. Life's not perfect. Then, Rebbe, your life's not going to be perfect. You're going to sit with six years with a kidney stone and seven years with thrush. Life's tough. So the guy who tells his students, life's tough, Shemayim's going to give him a tough life. Parent who tells his kid, well, that's life. Life sucks. You know, what can you do? Stuff happens. Stuff's going to happen to him. This is scary Gemara. Stuff's going to happen to you. When the worker comes to you and you're like, I need a raise, and you're like, business is tough, man. Life is tough. Everybody's suffering. So Shemaim, yeah, everybody's suffering. So you're going to suffer too. Watch what comes out of your mouth. Rebbe just said that to a cow. And look how he got punished. Imagine if you said that to a human being. And that's so American. You buy t-shirts that say life sucks. <laughs> and hats. It's American. Life's tough. I'm not even going to read you what the other shirt says. Stuff happens. We'll just say that. <laughs> Stuff happens. You walk around in a world where that's what they say. Look what the Gemara says about it. It's the opposite. You have to go to people and tell them, you're a rabbi. What are you talking about, man? I'm standing on the corner at 4 o'clock in the morning smoking pot. You call me rabbi? That's what Rebbe did. Not on the corner, you rabbi. Come to Yeshiva. I'll give you smicha. There's a boy that I tricked really good. He was having a very hard time with Yiddishkeit. And I went over to him and I said, I think you should put on tillin every day. I think it'll help you. He said, are you crazy? I'm not putting on tillin. I'm not putting on anything. I'm not doing anything. I said, I'll make you a deal. Make you a deal. I'll give you a thousand dollars. You put on tillin for a month. Get out of here. Thousand dollars cash. Took it out of my pocket. Counted it slowly. Give you a thousand dollars cash. I said what? It's just just a month. Just a month. No 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 side deals over here. I said no. Just thirty days. And don't put it on Shabbos. So it's not even a month. It's, it's six days a week times four. Twenty four days. I'll give you a thousand bucks. I knew, I knew that if someone puts on tillin for t- four weeks in a row, that's going to change your whole neshama. I knew I was going to put this guy through hell. Because once he puts on that tillin, and the hell will end up, come through hell, it'll end up in Gan, it'll end up in Ganadin. And what happened? He put on tillin for those four. I said, I believe in you, and I believe you can put on tillin. You'll see that life's going to change for you. Okay. That was uh, three years ago. Today, that boy who... Wouldn't put on tefillin except for a thousand bucks. He's sitting in yeshiva. He is the masmid of Rosh He learns about 18 hours. So far, I just spoke to him this week. He's got a seder now. He's between 18 and 20 hours a day. You know why? Ask him why. He says, because, because Rebbe believed in me. Rebbe believed in me so much, he put a thousand bucks up that, that I would change. Because he's not going to give me a thousand dollars to put on tefillin if I'm not going to change. He really thought... Rebbe knew that if, that if he puts up that money and I put on the phone, I'm going to change. Somebody believed in me. Would you take the $1,000? So, oh, he took the $1,000. Now, mm-hmm. what happened is in the deal, I'm a smart guy. I said, now when you become from, you're going to realize that putting on a pair of tefillin every day is worth a million dollars. 
So you're going to come back to me and you're going to say, Rebbe, I want to buy back my thir- those, you know, I own those those 24 days of tune. That's my skus and shemayim. It's not his. I paid for it. That's mine. I bought for $1,000 something that's worth infinity. There's no amount of money. I own a guy's tefillin for 24 days in a row. I made such a good... I'm a good businessman. <laughs> I'm no slouch. Right? I, I spent a thousand to make a zillion. So, I knew when I made the deal, I knew it was going to happen. And I knew that he's going to come back to me and want to buy it back. You know, here, here's your thousand back, Rebbe. I want those 24 days back. So I told him when I made the deal, you're going to come back one day and you're going to want it back. And, and it's going to bother you so much that you sold your tefillin days that you're going to give me any amount of money that I want. So I don't know what Ornava is going to be doing in those days and how much money I'm going to need. So I made a deal on the spot when I gave him the $1,000 that when he wants to buy it back, it's going to cost him $10,000. i am not going to ask you for a million. I'm not going to ask you for 100000 It's going to cost you 10000 And it's going to cost him 10000 to get it back. And the first 10000 he makes, he wants to buy it back. I'm a mean guy, no? This is my Hey, he paid, I paid $1,000 for it. I didn't give it back to you for $1,000. Now you know what it's worth. Aha! So that's the deal. $10,000 when he wants it back. And he wants it back. He doesn't have the money right now. But when he has the money, we'll sell it back to him. Because we see from this Gemara, you just have to, have to believe. You just have to give somebody hope and tell them what they are, and over here, Rebbe did something that is so against the rules to give a boy like this smicha, if, 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 if my yeshiva would give smicha to a boy like this, everyone in the world would be jumping on my head. Are you crazy? You gave this kid smicha? The Gemara said, Rebbe gave him smicha. Unbelievable. Rebbe said, how could he do that? Rebbe said, because he knew. He knew. If I give him smicha, he'll live up to it. it it's, it's, it's the Havdal in sports too. If you tell a mediocre kid in basketball, and I've done this, right? You have the most amazing shot. You, you're like, you're like, you're a three point. You, you, you'll, you'll hit ten out of ten out of twelve three pointers. The kid's like, what? See, it's just you, the way you're shooting is not correct, but your eye is like amazing. That kid, right? You don't have to say anything else. He's gonna go to the park every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot because someone told him that he has a crazy, amazing three point shot, even though he doesn't. Until he developed a crazy three-point shot. You have to be able to tell the person what their potential is. And that takes an insight of a person to see another person's potential. Instead of ragging and being down on everybody. So, last week I spoke about this. Actually, this past Shabbos I spoke. And I spoke about the three things. I spoke about the pill from last week, the blue pill, the little kid in the coffee which is an amazing story. And I spoke about that, the, you know, this story over here. And I was screaming that, you know, today, you know, teachers don't look at it like that. They're like, that's what you deserved. And life's tough. And life sucks. And that's the way it is. And I can't help you. And I was really ragging on Chinuch. And, and I realized afterwards something happened to me. And I looked up to Shemaim. I said, why'd you do that? And I realized that it happened to me because... I was ragging on Mechanchim because the truth is that the story I told you last week, it's not really fair because you know what? Most Rebbe's don't need Ritalin. 
and most Rebbe's really do care about their students, and most Rebbe loves their students very, very much. Yes, there may be one here and one there that doesn't, but the majority of Rabbeim today, the young Rabbeim, most of the Rabbeim, even the old Rabbeim, they really, really, really care. And from my story last week, it sounded like every single Rebbe needs some Ritalin in his coffee. And that's wrong. And I shouldn't have said it. And I got punished right away for saying it. Because that's not what Hashem wants. Not to knock his Rebbeim. And just to tell everyone that, that you should, from that story, you should learn that, you know, before you jump on what someone else needs, you should look at yourself. It has nothing to do with Rabbeim, anyone in life. Before you, you know, upset at your wife, maybe it's you're the one that's up, uptight, not that she's uptight. And it was wrong for me to rag on, on Rabbeim. And it was wrong for me to rag on Rabbeim when I told this Gemara. You know, and I was saying, like, you know, you, you, you have to compliment the kids in your class and you can't give a 64. And, and you should know that I have a rule in my school that no teacher is allowed to give a 64. If a teacher gives a 64, that means there's something wrong with the teacher. If you can't find one point for that child, give him a point for writing his name correctly. Give him a point for writing Baruch Hashem in the corner. Give him a point for giving in a clean piece of paper. You've got to be able to find one point to take a kid from a 64 to a 64. A kid gets a 60, okay. It's a 60. A kid gets a 61, it's a 61. But a 64? No. Anyone who gives a kid a 64, we need to talk to them. We need to talk to them. But you can't find one point, then there's something wrong. All right, so I want to end with, I, I didn't get to my garden of yearning. I guess we'll have to wait next week in Mitzvah Shem. We hope that Tisha B'Av will be a Yantif. So but Tuesday night is a shear, which is Erev Tisha B'Av. So either it's going to be a shear on Tisha B'Av. It's going to be a shear on Tisha B'Av, that's for sure. Um, specifically on Tisha B'Av, different Medrashim. It's going to be my Tisha B'Av shear, actually. I'm going to practice it in you guys. Um, so it's going to be totally Tisha B'Av shear, Mitzvah Shem. It may be about the the destruction of the base on Mingdash. It also may be about the rebuilding of the base on Mingdash. That's up to Akash Baruch Hu and up to us. But in Mitzvah next week is going to be my Tisha B'Av Shir. So I guess we're going to have to wait for the continuation of the Lost Princess, which most of you fell asleep on last week anyway, um, for the week after that. I want to end off with a story, talk about Tshuva, talk about being able to... By the way, um, you don't need someone to tell you that you're a rabbi or that you have the potential to help other people as much as somebody else will tell you that it will never help you near as much as you telling yourself because the person's perception is their reality Lahavdil, 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 Feh, Meh, Yeah Michael Jackson right Lahavdil the man died from an overdose or whatever he took sleeping pills. He took a lot of them, so now he's sleeping. And, and he had a big Leviah. They say that, that, that during that thing that they had in L.A. where they were singing, you know, a guy dies, they're singing, I don't understand exactly, but okay, whatever, that I think half the world was watching. Like a crazy number. Like no, not half the world, I believe half the world, was, half the world, China, Japan, they showed all the pictures, half the world was watching. I don't, I don't think... That living today in this world, there's a more famous person than Michael Jackson. I don't think anyone that would die right now in our generation, entertainer, president, or anyone, would, would catch a half of the world watching. No. No, there's no one. There isn't. He was the king of pop, right? And that's why, you know, he died. So the question that, the question that everyone's asking, here you have a man who died who had 
who had, who had billions of fans, billions, whose video thriller sold more than anything else in the world. So what's wrong with him? Why was he in such internal pain? Forget about the physical pain, whether he was or he wasn't. But it's such internal pain, so depressed his whole life, so lonely. He was, a, he was an introvert. He was very lonely, right? He had to make a, 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 a Disneyland for kids to get kids to come to his house. Whether he was a pervert, he wasn't a pervert, it doesn't make, I'm not his judge, it doesn't make, whatever. It's not important. But he had to make a place to bring kids to him. What was wrong with him? And the answer was that even though he had billions of fans, no one in this room has billions of fans, right? Tell me anytime, how many people do we have? We don't have billions yet, right? Well, we're getting there. We're getting there. But they're fans of Torah and not fans of people. So, why was he so lonely? He's so lonely. He was the most famous guy. He sold the most records. Why was he so lonely? And the answer was his perception of himself. Okay, you can read the book. It says that his father called him ugly. And since his father called him ugly, he tried, that's why he tried to get white, and he had all those surgeries, because once his father told him he was ugly, he believed he was ugly. And once he believed he was ugly, he continually tried to change who he was, and that's why he changed himself to white, and he changed his face and his nose, and whatever he tried to change, he couldn't stop changing, because his dad told him he was ugly. Mister, why do you think you're ugly because you're falling? The answer is that his perception of himself was I am ugly. I don't belong. I, there's a billion people screaming at a concert, throwing things at him. Hey, Michael! The whole world screaming, Michael! And he himself in his, in his head doesn't hear it. He walks off and he's lonely. Because that's his perception. So not always when your mother or your father or your Rebbe or your coach tells you that you're great, is it going to help you. Because if your perception of yourself is that you're not great, no matter what everyone says, you're going to say, yeah, yeah, he's just saying that because he doesn't want to be mean. Cause blah, 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 blah. I'm, sure, I'm sure many people told Michael Jackson, you're beautiful. They were screaming at all his concerts, you're beautiful, Michael, I love you, Michael. They were screaming, we love you, Michael. He felt he wasn't loved by anyone. You're beautiful, Michael. And he thought he was the ugliest guy in the world. What's wrong with that guy? Was he on drugs? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but what was wrong with that guy? What drove him to drugs? And the answer was, that was his perception. So even after this whole shear, and you look at this Gemara, and Rebbe came and told this boy, you're a rabbi, and he gave him smicha, if the boy himself, so what happened? Listen carefully. Listen carefully, because it's a very important point in this Gemara. Rebbe's trick didn't work. Rebbe's trick of telling the boy, I'm giving you smicha, right? Come and learn. The Gemara says that after that, the boy said, I want to go home. So it didn't work. He said, I want to go home. I want to go back to what I was doing. I want to go back to my city. Didn't work. His trick didn't work. What happened? His uncle, his uncle came back. The one that was teaching him. Let's, we have to, let's look at the words again. Very important. You have to look at the difference here. Because Rebbe was talking, a guy walking over and saying, you're, you're great. You're unbelievable. You're going to be a tzaddik. That didn't work. Where were we? Hold on. What? Hey, hey. Hey, no, it's more than hey, hey. Here. So listen to what, he, what happened. He said, I want to go home to my city rather than stay here and study Torah. So that didn't work. Telling him that you're a rabbi, making him a rabbi. That didn't work. Armale, 
Rav Shimon ben Isi said to him, Chakim Adu Yaisach, they want to make you, they want to make you into a rub, into a sage. They want to spread a gold garment upon you. But Rabbi Karalach, and call you rabbi. Not that you are a rabbi. Not that you got smicha. But we want to see you grow. We know you can do it. That's when he said, I want to, go, I, I, I don't, I'm not going home anymore. I promise you I'm not going home anymore. It was, it wasn't that you are, that you are a rabbi. That didn't work. It was that we believe in you. And you can do it. Give it some, try it. Work on it. When he said, when the boy said, I'm not going home anymore, the boy said, you know what? I believe in myself. I believe I can do this. And the Gemara says he never turned back. When Rebbe said it to him, when Rebbe said you're unbelievable and you're great, he said, I want to go home. When the boy said, when the boy said, I can do this, I will never ask you to go home again. That's when he became, he went to Yeshiva, he became a Tana. He became a Tana. He became a great person. So as much as I can tell everyone in here that you have potential and you have ability and you could be anything that you want to be, and as much as I told that girl that you're going to grow up and you're going to help other girls and whatever it is, it doesn't mean anything until you yourself believe in yourself. And the way that a person believes in themselves is understanding, we don't have time to do this tonight, is understanding that you're connected to Hashem, and if you're connected to Hashem, nobody can stop you. Nobody, you can be anything. Because when you're plugged into the source that is everything, if you're plugged into God, which is everything, then you can be everything. He's the best biologist and the best doctor and the best lawyer and the best learner and the best everything. So if a person's plugged into Hashem, he can do anything. He can be everything. He can do everything. He can change the whole world. He can change the whole world. So I want to end with a story where, where it's my, I know a lot of guys have heard this story, and it's, it's the story. It's the story of the Avas Chaim. It's the, it's the, be- I mean, it's one of his best stories. And it has to do with, with a boy, and, and, and who in the end, you'll see how a father believing in his child, how he ended up saving him. So he says like this, there was a very rich man, millionaire. He was a millionaire. And everybody liked this man. He had one son. Ben Yochid, this boy, was totally off the derech. I don't like that word, off the derech, anyway. Okay, because first you got to get on the derech to get off the derech. And like, off-road's not so bad, you know? It's fun to go off-road once in a while. So, I don't know about off the derech. Just, we'll say he had a son that was struggling. Okay? He had a son, actually he calls him a Rasha Marusha. Okay, a little more. <laughs> a, little more well, a little more than struggling, okay? Amen. More like off the cliff, not off the road. Okay, anyway... So, um, he used to hang around in a hotel, in a casino, with his friends, and they used to drink, and they used to smoke hookah, and they used to go on the internet, that's not what he says, because this book was written before all that. <laughs> anyway, and this boy was very rich, his father was a millionaire, so he paid for everyone, drinks on me, hookah's on me, pot's on me, you know, everything's on me. Okay. So, they loved him very much, his friends, because... He got all the comps in the casino. He got the rooms, he got the drinks, he got everything. So they loved him. And he used to waste all his father's money until the rich man got so disgusted, he became very sick. And he was dying. What did he do? So he called into his house the Kitsinha ear, I believe is the police head police guy in the city. Parnasseha ear, 
the people who were supporting the city, the rabbis of the city, and his son. Four people. The pe- person who was supporting the city, the head of the police, his son, and the rabbis. And he said before them, he says, listen, everyone, I'm very rich. I'm the richest guy in the city. I'm dying. He said, um, what am I going to do with all this money after I die? So he says, finally, to the head policeman of the city, I'm giving a million dollars. To the Parnassah here who take care of the yeshivas and tzedakahs, who give money to the poor people, I'm giving a million dollars. He says, to the rabbis, I'm giving a million dollars. He says, and to my son, um, I'm also giving a million dollars, but on the condition that the minute I give him the money, he has to leave the house. Because this kid was killing his father, and his father wanted to die in peace. So he, wanted, he said, I'm giving my son a million dollars, he can leave, but he can't come back into the house. The house is not his. Take the million dollars, go to your hotel, go with your friends, go gamble, go drink, do whatever you want. We are totally disconnected, have a nice life. Okay. So, before they all left, he said, I want to write one thing in my will, the father said, in front of everybody, that after I die, one year, 12 months, the mishtara, I'm giving the police, the head of police, the, the keys to, um, to my house, and after I die, exactly a year later, the police will give the keys to my son, and then my son can come back into the house, and everything in the house and the house will everything in the house will belong to him. Okay, so the kids say, "Perfect, a million dollars, a party for a year, and I'll come home." So the father signed it, the policeman signed it, and the child signed it, and everybody went on their way. Okay, loyavas man, in a short time, hazaki nifta, the old man died. And they took him and they buried him. Everybody gave him a lot of COVID. But the son, he was a party animal. The son didn't even sit shiva. His father kicked him out of the house. He's not going to sit shiva. He's not going to sit shiva. He's not sitting shiva. He didn't care about the shiva. He went with his friends. And they went out to party. And they went out to drink. And for eight months he did this until he didn't have a penny left. Okay? He saw that he's in big trouble. But he still wanted to gamble, and he still wanted to drink. So he went, and he borrowed money from the butcher of the town. And he said, I need money, if, you know, but don't worry. I got my father's house in exactly four months. It was the eighth month. In four months, my father had a beautiful house with furniture and books and, and gold and silver and, and antiques and paintings. He said, listen, I'm borrowing against what's in the house. Give me a million dollars. So the butcher said, no problem, but you know, we run a little loan sharking operation over here, mister. And when that month comes, when that four months come up, we're coming to the house. And we want that million dollars. No problem, we're going to have a lot more than that. So they gave him the million dollars. And of course, he went to the casino. And he lost it. So, he went to another loan shark and another loan shark and as these months went by he owed the whole world money and he couldn't pay them back and he told them just wait just wait just wait when I get that house I'm going to pay you all back okay he says in the end he went to his friend and he asked him for a kika lechem for a loaf of bread and he said the friend said the guy that he used to take to the casinos and cop him all the time he said I'm really sorry I have to feed my family I don't even have a loaf of bread he asked for another guy to sleep by him he says I can't Threw him out like a dog. He said, my wife doesn't want guests. And wherever he went, he got thrown out. Okay, finally, the year was up. Hayakarua, his clothing was ripped. Ubalua, he was full of 
of boils. At night, he was sleeping, because that's what ends up if you're a gambler. He ended up sleeping in shul. All of a sudden, he got called from the police, the head police of the city. And the police said, tomorrow, the year is up, and you have Rishus to take the keys and to go um, into the house. And your father wrote that you can take out of the house whatever you can carry in six hours. You have six hours to go into that house, and whatever you can carry out, that's yours. Okay? So, when the butcher heard this, and the store owners heard this, and the owner of the hotel heard this, who all wanted their money, they came running to this boy, who was, ha- who was just laying around, and they beat him with sticks. And they said, we want you to know that we're going to be waiting at those six hours when you come out, and you better pay us what you owe us, because if you don't, we're going to cut you into little pieces. This was, these were loan sharks, you know, you don't pay him back, you're done. Okay, so he realized he's in a big trouble, he's in a big sakana, right? So he, he takes the keys, but he's gonna go, he knows he's, his father left a lot of money. So he takes the keys and he opens up the first door, and he sees the garden, his father's garden, and he sees it's a Chorben Gadol. And he says, Oive, look at this, look at this house, it was so beautiful when we left, now it's all broken up. It looks terrible. He began to cry, oi, 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 this is the palace of my father. He opened up the second door, and he saw that the house was totally cleaned out. <laughs> not a painting, not a chair, not a, a silver spoon, nothing. He said all there were, were mice. That's it. Omar, believe I, he said, but I know my father had a study where he had a lot of very precious svarim books. I'll go get his svarim. At least I'll sell his svarim. I'll be able to pay these guys back something. They won't kill me. So he goes, and he goes into his father's den, his father's svarim room, and there's not a safer there except on the desk, on a piece of wood, there's a piece of paper. A letter. He opens up the letter, and this is what the letter says, and I just love to read this letter. So here you have this kid who didn't like his father, who spent all this money, who owes the whole world money because of the stuff that he did. He's in a house. He's done. He's finished. They're waiting him outside the door. And there's a letter. And I'm sure that his stomach was like, there was hope. My father left me a letter where all the treasure is. This is what the letter said. Yadati b'ni yadati. I know my son. I know. Shetavoy b'yoyim kazeh that today... That there are people waiting outside the door, the front door. They're waiting to kill you in a very bad way. Now, this is a father that wrote it. He died a year before he wrote this letter. He said, I know that when you're reading this letter, there are a bunch of people waiting outside the front door that want to rip you to pieces. And therefore, I give you a piece of advice that his loving father. To go up to the attic. Shom Muchan Gardom. I set up for you in the attic a, a rope with a noose. In Kisei, with a chair. Kedai Lechoshetala Kisei. My advice to you, my son, is get up on the chair. Tachnis Tzavorecha Tachas Achevel. Put your head in the noose. Titchai Kakisei. And kick away the chair. Vitishoya Toli Shomor. And remain there hanging. 
Lefakais, at least, Thomas Betsina, Techa Cheder. At least you'll die quietly in the room. And you won't have to die a bitter and harmful death by all those people that are waiting to chop you up. This is the father wrote this letter a year before. When the boy read the letter from his father, he realized that this was correct. He said, you know what? Let me die quietly and not in public. He went upstairs to the attic. And he saw the rope over a beam, ready, prepared. And on the chair was another letter. Okay, we're all figuring at this point, the father's like, okay, you thought about it, you did tshuva, now you can, the money is downstairs, make a left, make a right, and you'll find it, right? He opened up the letter, and the letter had on, the, had on it the Seder Vidoy, where a person, before he dies, asks for forgiveness for all the sins that he did. That he didn't listen to his father's voice. He began to cry, and the water ran from his eyes, the, the tears ran from his eyes like water. And he said, he went through the video, I've sinned, I've stolen, I have, I have committed immoral acts, I have gone against my father in heaven, I've gone against my father on earth. And he said to Hashem, this boy, he said, my death, should be my forgiveness, on all the sins that I did. He said, Dad, please forgive me, a full forgiveness. Hashem, please forgive me. He put his head into the noose, with a great happiness. He kicked away the chair. And he died. No. That's not how the story goes. He didn't die. He kicked away the chair. He kicked away a chair. He began to hang for one second. And the whole beam that the rope was tied to collapsed and fell on him. Here. He together with the with the beam and the rope fell to the floor. And from this beam fell out a piece of paper. And it said the following. My beloved son. Since you accepted on yourself to die with happiness. I am sure that you feel bad for everything that you have done. I command you to continue to do tshuva, and I want you to live and not to die. Like it says in the Torah, Hashem doesn't wait for someone to die. He doesn't want us to die. I want you to know, my son, that in the garden, in the, in the, in the corner, Open up, you'll see a rock. Pick it up. And you'll find a, a room underneath this rock where all my riches are. From there, pay everyone that you owe money. You will become rich. 
Tikach l'cha isha, get married. V'takes avicha, remember your father. V'telech b'aisa aderech shu'isa b'necha. And go in the way that I showed you. Echa yisim mitzhanigim ha-kosh baruch hu. realize how I treated God and how I treated everybody else. Habacha hazeh, this boy, Nia kibirya chadasha, became like a new person. Ratzal hagina, he ran to the garden. Umatzes kol ma'ashikasa he found everything that was written in the letter. Behaven chachmasa shalaviv, and he realized how smart his father was. That he didn't let him die. He realized who his real friends are and who his real friends are not. Friends on Facebook, friends on the internet. No, this is very serious. Those are not your friends. Those are the people that will use you until there's nothing left to use. It's our parents, it's the Kirish Baruch who really cares about us. Don't wait, boys, till the noose is around your neck to find that out. Find that out before the noose is around your neck, before it's too late. Because not every time when they kick the chair away does the beam collapse. Not every time when the Malachamavas comes to get you do you get a second chance. So we need to be able to see this letter that the Father wrote before we put our head in the noose. And to understand that our parents really do care about us and really do love us and really do want us to be better. And what happened in the end of the story? Chazav Lemutov, he went back, he did tshuva. The Chazav Leisayne Harishin Kamayaviv, and he became like his father. And no one, he never told anyone what happened. So no one understood the change that happened to him. Shechazam Mikotzer El Kotzer, that he went from one end to the other. And he ended up becoming one of the most important people. He got married, he had children. Of course, he turned his whole life around and he became one of the most important people in the city. So there's two stories I told you tonight that are on opposite ends of the spectrum. One story is to tell a person his potential for you guys to tell yourself who you are, why I'm here, and the potential of a person and what you could do in this world. And then you could go from the worst part like this boy did to become a Tana. That's one way. And the other way is not to wait for the news, but to understand that the Torah and your parents and the people who care about you, listen to what they tell you. Listen to when they tell you that you're going in the wrong derech and you're doing the wrong thing. That's for your good. Don't wait for that noose. Don't wait till it's too late. Don't wait for the pain. You can get it without the pain. You know, they say no pain, no gain. You can get it without the pain. If you treat everyone correctly and you help everyone, then a Kosh will help you. Life does not suck. It's a very not true statement. Life is amazing. Life is amazing. But life is what you make it. It's what a person makes it. It's what a person believes. And if a person understands that you are part of Hashem and that you have the power of God because He created you and you can plug into Him, you learn, you daven, you're part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Nobody has to rip you off because you're getting ripped off if someone tells you, if you daven, I'll give you a prize. If you're good today, you know, parents ask me, should I promise my son that if he comes to Shalom Shabbos, I'll give him the car? I'm like, that's a rip-off. Because if he comes to Shulan Shabbos and you give him the car, then his Shulan Shabbos belongs to you. For a lousy car, that's a bad deal. Don't let anybody rip you off. Don't let anyone buy your mitzvahs. 
every mitzvah is worth a trillion dollars. You need to know that inside. So maybe we'll be zaycha in the schus of understanding what these nine days, because these nine days, the whole, the whole, the whole reason we don't have the base of midrash is sinas chinam. Sinas chinam means, I, I just told this to someone today. Sinas chinam means hatred for nothing. So it sounds like if I hate someone for a reason, it's it's okay, right? So I told I told him today. I said sinas chinam is like. I just don't like you. I just don't like you. You're Sephardi, I'm Ashkenaz, we're different. You know, you have this, I don't have... Just because every sinner, every hatred is Bechinam. Why is it called Sinas Chinam? Because really, it sounds like the base of Israel is destroyed for Sinas Chinam. So if, if a guy does something to me and I hate him, then Hashem won't destroy the base of Midrash. Right? The answer is no. Every sinner is Chinam. There's no reason to hate another person. Even if he smacks you, if he steals from you, there's no way that a person can steal from you unless Hashem writes that something should be stolen from you. So what are you hating him for? He has to pay you back. He deserves to get punished. But what do you hate him for? You hate a person because he did something to you that you don't deserve. Well, guess what? Unless Hashem signs off that you should get into a car accident, that the guy should lose control, go through a stop sign, and hit you and smash your brand new BMW, and now you hate him, you're a fool. Because unless Hashem signed off on that, it wouldn't have happened. So yes, he has to fix your car. And yes, he has to pay the insurance. And yes, you're hurt. But to hate him is chinam. Any hatred in this world is chinam. Therefore, the Torah calls it sinas chinam. There is no such thing as hate for a reason. Because whatever that reason is that you think, it's not a reason to hate them. Because if Hashem didn't sign off on it, it couldn't happen. So sinner is always but the worst sinner in the world is hating yourself. That is the true sinner that stops the Beis Hamidish from coming. Hating yourself. Not being happy with yourself. Being depressed all the time. Hurting yourself by smoking, by drinking, by gambling, by doing drugs. That means you hate yourself. A person who smokes hates himself. You wouldn't take smoke and blow it into your baby's mouth every morning 20 times a day because you're hurting your child. So why are you doing it to yourself? The answer is that there is some type of dislike for yourself. If you take your money and you gamble it and you lose $20,000, $2,000, $5,000, right? You wouldn't come and take $20 out of my pocket. You definitely wouldn't come and take $20,000 out of my pocket. Because why? Because Rabbi, I like you. Would never, ever take a dollar out of Rabbi Wallstein's pocket. I like you. Would never do that to anybody. But you did it to yourself. You went to Atlantic City and you lost $5,000. You took $5,000 out of your pocket and you threw it in the garbage. So that means you don't like yourself as much as you like me. Me, you wouldn't do it to. You wouldn't come up here and blow smoke or two packs of cigarettes in my face all day. But you're doing it to yourself. Right? You wouldn't give me the drink to get me drunk on the floor. You wouldn't get me high. You'd say, Rabbi, no, don't do that. If I would come into this room, and even if a guy was, I, I walked into a room, and guys in this room that smoke pot, and I walked into their house, and I'm like, give me a joint, all of them would say, no, Rabbi, no, no, don't start. Rabbi, you know, don't start, Rabbi. Uh, the other day, I took a cigarette away from a girl, right? She's a smoker. I took a cigarette away from her, 
and I took it to break it, right? But I couldn't tell I wanted to break it. So she was fighting with me. I said, I smoke every once in a while. Nobody knows. Come on, one cigarette. She's like, Rabbi, I'm begging you, don't smoke. The same girl, she's smoking. I said, why not? She goes, Rabbi, once you start, it's very hard to stop. And, and, and we need you to be here for a while. And, and this stuff can kill you. <laughs> one second. You're, you're not giving me a cigarette because you need me to be here for a while because it could kill me. But you don't love yourself enough that you should be here for a while. So it's no problem if it kills you. I said this to her. So sinas chinam, the worst sinas chinam is that you hate yourself. You're doing to yourself what you won't do unto others. It's the opposite, right? What's the Love your friend as much as you love yourself. Meanwhile, you're loving your friend much more than you love yourself. You don't love yourself at all. You're putting garbage into your body. You're smoking. You're killing yourself. You wouldn't, you wouldn't give that to your child. You wouldn't put a cigarette in your child's mouth. Why not? Because I love him. So what about you? You wouldn't steal money from your father or your brother or someone that you really care about, but you're stealing money from your own pocket. You wouldn't give meat to drugs because, Rebbe, it's not good for you. So listen to yourself. It's not good for you either. So the worst sin as chinam is the sinner that a person has for himself. So maybe we need to change that little mitzvah to our, in our generation and say you should love yourself as much as you love your friend. Not you should love your friend as much as, much as you love yourself. That's bad because you don't love yourself. This generation doesn't, even though people say you're very selfish, they don't love themselves at all. They're killing themselves. They're cutting themselves. They're actually cutting themselves. They're carving things into their hands. They're smoking. They're drugging. They're drinking. They're gambling. Those are all things that a person does to a person that they don't like. They're starving themselves. They're bulimic. They're anorexic. They're hurting themselves. They're depressed. They're sleeping all day. They would never do that to someone else. But they're doing it to themselves. So I think maybe Rabbi Akiva in our generation would have said, you should love yourself as much as you love your friend. So I think that another thing that we need to work on, which we get from this Gemara, is that every person has to understand that you are an amazing, amazing, amazing person. And that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us all the potential to do anything. And the only one, and I tell this to everybody, and I'm telling it to all of you guys, the only one that can hurt you is you. That's it. Nobody else. Nobody else. Only you. This kid in the Gemara, when he realized that he has smicha, he can become a rav, he said, I am not going back. You'll never hear me say it again. That's what everyone everyone needs to have. That's the chizik that we need to have. And if we have that chizik, we will have, we'll be zaycha in mitzah Hashem. I really believe, really believe that this tishabov will be a yantiv and that we won't need to have our kinnis and you don't need to have, we won't have to sit on the floor. And the yantiv of tishabov, the mayed of tishabov is emuna. Because on tishabov, as much as you remember the destruction of the base, I believe that you could not have a tishabov if you did not know that there would be a third base Hamidash. 
If you didn't know that there'd be another base Hamidish, I don't think you could sit on the floor about the destruction of the, of the two base Hamidish that were destroyed. The, the, the whole talking about the, other, the two base Hamidish being destroyed is because we believe that there's going to be another base Hamidish that's going to be built. That's why, that's why we can handle it. Otherwise, we couldn't handle, we couldn't handle it, Tishabov. The Mayid of Tishabov is the belief that Mashiach is born in Tishabov. The Mayach of Tishbub is that emuna that we can have a base of Mikdash. Do we, is there anyone in this room, do we deserve, we, do we deserve Mashiach? We all walk around, we want Mashiach now. Do we deserve Mashiach in our generation more than in the generation of the Tanoim? Of Rebbe, Rebbe Yehud, of the Chavetz Chaim? Do we have a Chavetz Chaim? Of Rashi? Rashi didn't get Mashiach. Who are we? A bunch of, I don't want to say what, right? Not me, I'm talking about me, not you guys, right? Who are we living in this, immo- the way we live, Right? The way we daven, who we didn't even think that we could have Mashiach? Where do we have a right to have Mashiach? We say we want Mashiach. Who are we? And the answer is that if you believe you can bring Mashiach, if you believe, like Rebbe said, that you're a Rebbe, then you're going to grow to be a Rebbe. A generation that believes in Mashiach is a generation that will, that will grow to deserve Mashiach. How do you bring Mashiach? You bring Mashiach Avas Chinam. Sinas Chinam destroyed the base of Midrash. Avaschina will bring the base of English. Avaschina means. Hurting yourself. Stop smoking. Stop drinking. Stop gambling. Stop going on the internet. Stop going on Facebook. I'm serious. We're learning tonight. And we're learning tonight. And, and, and you didn't hear this. I said this last week. We're learning tonight for a girl who went to base Yaakov who went to Eretz Yisrael, who came back, a regular from a firm family, living in Flatbush, who went on the internet, who went onto Facebook, who found a group of devil worshippers, witchcraft, in, in Colorado, who was back and forth with them on the internet, who decided that she's going to fly there by herself and join them and become one of them, Denounce her religion, denounce Judaism. Not only that, but this is a bunch of witches. There's no men. So I don't have to tell you what kind of chevra. It's a gay chevra of women. It's not a joke. It's the most immoral, lowest bilum group with extreme powers. They're going to take her soul. She will never, I told her, you will never see the next world. You will be taken to a different world. Your neshama will be cut off from Klai Yisrael. You won't be buried with Jews. It's, it's, it's the end of this person's neshama. And she's bewitched. She can't even hear what, what anyone's saying. And we daven and we did everything that we could for her and we can't stop them. They're just unbelievably powerful. And last week on Wednesday night, I went to give my share on Wednesday night. She had booking JetBlue to, to Colorado. She's on her way. We, we Baruch Hashem, talked her into going with a, bo- a man that was going to go with her at least to take her to Colorado when they get off the plane, he will see what these witches look like and maybe try to save her. And she agreed to let him come because she's a little bit nervous. They went to the airport. They sat by the gate. The plane was supposed to leave at 8.30. There was something wrong with the... It's a true story. I was on my way to give the girl share at 9.15. At 9 o'clock, I got a text message. She missed the plane. We are fighting the unnatural. And the only way to fight the unnatural is with the unnatural. And they are fighting us for Tumah. They really have Kayach. I've never seen anything like this. They really have Kayach. And the only way to fight that is with Ruchnius. And I think that if each one of us takes on something for Vered, 
Rivka Bas Esther, which is Avas Chinam, because you don't know, it's not your sister, it's not your cousin, you're doing it just out of Chesed. I think that maybe in that schus of Avas Chinam, Akash Baruch Hu will give us a Yeshua and give her a Yeshua and bring Mashiach from Harry Yemen or You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.